Welcome to Team Up with Beata. I'm Beata Padua, and I'm very excited that you are here. This is a podcast about the teams of the future and the right ingredients for that pivot. This podcast will make you believe in teamwork again. Woohoo! Today, I invited Gitte Klitgaard to the show who is, among many things, famous for helping companies to build more psychologically safe environments. We wanted to talk about that, but realized through our conversation that there are more burning topics out there in the world right now, and that's what we wanted to share with you. If you haven't heard of Gitte before, she is an agile coach, trainer, advisor, and mentor Gita is an owner of Native Wired and has led change at companies like IBM, Lego and Spotify. From loneliness to friendships, from burnout to thriving in your work and dealing with layoffs and depression. I hope you will leave this episode inspired and ready to get out there, beat the loneliness and help others create a better world together. I met a guy recently and we talked for a very long time and he said at some point, do you know Gita? I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I know Gita. I've heard of Gita. <laughs> we live in the same town. And he said he used to work with you and that you really, really helped him throughout his work. You really missed working with you. I thought you should hear it that even when you're not there, people talk nice things about you. <laughs> Well, that is nice to hear. Sometimes you kind of go, do people even remember me? And then sometimes you get these. And of course, a lot of people don't. But then there's also people that will come up to you. I think the the one I had the most was one who came up to me after. So he was at a coach camp seven years after I worked with him. Mm. And he came up to me and we said hi and stuff. And then on the second day, he's like, do you have time to talk? And he pulled me aside and he said, I wanted to tell you that you changed my life because the way you spoke openly about mental health, um, so not just your work, made me realize that I needed help. Mm. And it, it, it totally changed the way I live my life more honestly and I've gotten help and stuff. Wow, that's big. And, and it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, it was some years ago, right? Because now these topics are a little bit more acceptable. Yeah, so I worked with him in 2015. You could talk barely about anything that relates to mental health. I didn't. I was home with stress in 2009 to 10 was the last time I was really down with stress. Uh, I was home for nine months and I wanted in 2013, I started speaking at conferences and the first one I did was about being brave, brave enough to be yourself. Mm. And then... I was talking to some people about stress and depression. And every time I talked to someone, they, they either knew someone or they tried it themselves. So in 2014, I spoke at Lean Agile Scotland about stress and depression the first time. So it was called Stress and Depression, How Love for Your Work Can Kill You. <laughs> uh, because we always talk about how we get pressured from the outside, but we don't mm. talk about how we pressure ourselves. And I was so nervous about it because it was so personal. And I was like, I don't think anyone is going to come listen to me. And there were almost twice as many people in the room as there were chairs. Uh And I was like, okay. So I did the talk and I've done it 
many times since now in different variation and it keeps evolving as I learn more about stress. And sometimes I have people come up to me like years after and saying, hey, you made me see a doctor. And, and I think that there's time where I felt it the most. So 2017, I spoke at Kraft in Budapest, quite a big conference, six competing tracks. There were about 2000 participants. Mm. And I sit there in the morning and I go like, fuck, I'm on the big stage. Why did they put me on the big stage at a tech conference? And then after lunch, <laughs> I was like, who's going to come after lunch and listen about stress and depression? I, I expected people would go to the more technical ones. And my host, she estimated that it was about 800 people who showed up out of the 2000. So I did my talk. And one of the things uh, I started doing is saying to people, okay, I'd like all of you to get up. And not sit, I will uh, say everything before you sit down. So if you know someone who had stress or depression or anxiety or struggled with any kind of other mental health, uh, please sit down. And out of 800, there were 20 people standing. Oh. And even though I logically know how many it is, seeing this many people, seeing a crowd of almost 800 people and 20 people standing was so powerful and scary. Uh, mm -hmm. um, also because I mean we are talking about it more and more but it's still a little bit you know yeah it's sensitive I met yeah. a bunch of people now at conference and there was many people diagnosed with burnout and mm -hmm. they really wanted to do something about it but their visa depended on it so it's like the doctor says you should take it easy but then oh yeah if you take it easy you, you gotta you're gonna get kicked out, out of Europe you know then what do you do and many just continue because they, they, like, what do they do? Like, what would you do? Like, I don't know what I would do. I just move around EU. Um, yeah, exactly. We can, we have, we have a lot of benefits that way. Yeah. But I also see it that people don't want to take time off work because they know that then their colleagues will be under more pressure. Yeah. So if you have an organization where um, people are under pressure, you don't want to take those days off. Or if you need to take a month off, like your colleagues have to run a lot faster that month. Yeah. So a lot of people don't take time off because of that. Yeah, you have a small team and it's all kind of connected. Yeah, companies at least tend to not lower. They kind of say, yeah, it's, it's okay. You can take care of your mental health. You can take care of your, you know, of course, if you're physically sick as well. But we don't lower the expectations to the team. Yeah. Or we don't hire a new manager for a month. You know, we just stretch mm. it a little bit and we all get stressed. Yeah. Way. If you don't take those breaks and if the companies are not looking out for it. And now even with layoffs, I've heard of managers having to take like three teams, five teams. And then the employees are like, but uh, when can I talk to you? <laughs> when can we have our 101? Or I have something big to talk about. And then, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so stressed, right? Yeah. And I mean, um, it affects us a lot. When I was working in uh, Danske Bank in Denmark in this 2010, we just had the first firing rounds in banks ever. Before that was like, you know, if you could get into a bank, you were secure mm. for life. Mm. And you could really feel that. Like one of the things I noticed very much was that the managers would try to look perfect. They would not admit mistakes. They would not admit weaknesses because they were afraid they would be next. And it created this a little bit tough environment because if you have a manager who never makes mistakes, which of course they do, but they don't talk about it. You also learn that you are not supposed to make mistakes. And that puts another layer of pressure on people.
Because it's all coming from the managers, right? We, if a manager shows vulnerability or, or any sign of, I made a mistake, then the rest feels like, yeah, it's cool. I can do that too. If you look into safety, for instance, like the post uh, TED talk I saw by Amy Edmondson, she researches in psychological safety. Uh, she also said that she's like, show fallibility, show that you made mistakes. Because that way you show that everyone does this and it's okay. And it's one of the things I've also seen when I work with teams is that if a senior developer, for instance, whatever we call senior, if they go in and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this, it helps a lot. And I mean, you could see it on, on Twitter when it was still, there were so many technical people there. You could see a lot of big technical names would go, yes, I Google every day mm. when I'm sitting and working with something technical or threats are still really difficult, even though I've been doing them for 20 years, because we look up to these people and we think that's how we're supposed to be. And if they need help, if they search for help, then we can also search for help and we can also learn and we can make mistakes. But I think the problem is that the more under pressure we are, the more we try to, you know, not make mistakes or at least not show mistakes. Yeah. I do the same, like when I am feeling okay, or if I'm feeling a little bit bad, I share that I am and I ask for help. If I'm feeling really, really bad, I kind of lock myself in a box and don't share it because then I have the feeling that, you know, yeah, I'm feeling really bad because I'm spending too much time on my own. I don't have a job. I'm not, it feels like nothing is succeeding for me. Oh, let me not bother other people because they're busy. Like, oh, they have their lives. They have their work. Maybe some have problems with a partner. They shouldn't spend time on me. I'm just whining because I have nothing to do. Mm. You know, so, so I think the worst, that we, the worst we feel, whether it is pressure from the organization or pressure from ourselves or the lower our mental health is, the less we actually ask for help. True, yeah. true. That's not only within, like you said, with the teams, with organizations, but also within the network that we build it up for years, right? Like, like yeah. you said, when, when you look for the next big thing, should you really go out there and talk? I remember when I was made, laid off, it happened a few times, but once it was like, I can't really talk about it because nobody understands what it means because it was only some group of us. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's better now that everybody's getting laid off and you know, now <laughs> it's become like a less of a taboo, but it was very much like, yeah, you're, you're just get out, try to do something. I don't know. Have you tried applying for other jobs? Yeah. It's like, you know, I've worked in tech for many years and then there's like, have you tried maybe going back to what you did before? Or have you tried, I don't know, working in a bar? It's like, great tips. <laughs> but you do I've, feel like people try, trying to like ditch you. They're like, yeah, just stop talking. Yeah, but I also think it's because we try to solve other people's problems. Mm. And see from the outside, it looks fairly easy. So when I had been down with stress, um, when I was at IBM, a lot of companies actually have a good support network after you have been down with stress or burnout. <laughs> We're not as good at preventing it, but we had this, we had these small groups, which we called the support wheel. Like, you know, the ones you have on a bike. Mm. Um, as a kid, yeah, when, you, yeah, when as a you're kid. trying to learn. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah, so when you learn, you have these supporting wheels, probably not called that in English. But the idea was that we were groups of four of people who had been on sick leave with burnout. And it was such a relief because no matter how empathetic my manager, for instance, tried to be or my colleagues, they didn't get it. 
they didn't get that. When I had my first really big burnout, it was like I got fired. my mom died, my my dad had his leg amputated because of a blood clot, like all within, you wow. know, three months. And I was super stressed. Oh. I had worked so much and I just broke down. Oh, man. And um, I would have days where if I made it to the sofa and just sat there, it would be good. Mm. And then my boyfriend would come home from work and he would make sure I got something to eat. But trying to explain to someone who has not tried being in a depressive state, that making it to the sofa is a success. Yeah. That's really hard. And I think, I think more people actually understand it now because of COVID. Because people have tried this where it can be so hard to do even the slightest thing. Even though, like, logically, there seems to be no reason for it. Like, getting out or... Talking to people, I mean, one of the things that I see after Corona is that a lot of people, including myself, struggle to look for new social contacts or make an active effort to be social as well. When I was working in my last place, we were, there was a lot of hanging out after work. Mm. A few people would usually always stay on Fridays. It would usually get really late. And that was easy being social because you didn't have to do anything. You could just be there. Yeah. But I also realized that I was not in touch with a lot of other people because that would require an effort. That would require, you know, calling, writing, saying, hey, do you have time? Or maybe planning or it took a real effort also to get out of the house. I didn't have a problem with that before Corona. It would be like sometimes I would not be home a single evening uh, in a week, which would also be too much, but that's another story. Mm -hmm. But now I still have this where I go like, okay, yes, I could meet up with people. I tried doing it a bit before summer where I would have lunch with different people. I would have Fika. The advantage of not having a a job is that you can actually travel half an hour or an hour to go somewhere and have lunch and travel an hour back again. But I kind of lost it again after summer. So that active part, I think a lot of us are missing and I think we we are still as a human race underestimating the need we have for contact yeah that's true and for relations and for like proper contact because even though it's nice that you can talk to people online there is something about being with people in a room face to face right face to face being outside even just sitting at a cafe and writing something because or reading a book because there are other people around you, there are things happening. It's not the same over and over again. Mm. And we need those connections. And I think that that's one of the big damages that, that Corona has done to us is that we have fewer connections. Because we, we got used to, you know, we made a bubble. We need to do something actively to get out of it. Yeah, I, to- I can totally relate to everything that you just said. You've mentioned Fika, which is a Swedish tradition where we share tea or coffee together in a break, sometimes a cookie, and we talk to each other. It's very common in the large companies here in Sweden, right? But yeah, I just want to say I'm really sorry about your parents. It sounds like the worst tragedy. I can't even relate to that. There's been a lot of talk recently about the new epidemic of loneliness, right? Yeah. I don't know how much you heard about it. 
I've listened to interview with the founder of Airbnb recently, and he talked about how they in Airbnb are going to try to tackle that from their perspective, how to get people to hang out more together or something. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow, first time I'm hearing someone with authority, not only acknowledging it, but also someone that is planning to do something about it. But I mean, we can use any apps we want. You can sign up to a meetup, but then cancel it five minutes before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which I have done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it happens to all of us. When you mentioned that sitting on a sofa and not wanting to get out. I mean, I've been through that. I mean, I wasn't like diagnosed with anything because I didn't even want it to get out, <laughs> to yeah. get diagnosed, you know. And then my boyfriend was coming home every day from work and I was like, okay, that's it. We're going to the forest. Yeah. I, I think I've seen so much forest <laughs> that after I was like, okay, I know, I know all the forest in the neighborhood, but it was so important. And in, in this case, for me to be with nature, that, that really, really helped. But then building that routine of, yeah. of going out, right. Of what well, we've been through pandemic of like getting up, taking shower. Right. <laughs> yeah. But then putting on pants <laughs> instead of soft pants. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's true. What do you think? we can do to actually do get out and do meet friends and make new friends and especially making friends as adults. That's like another topic, but. Uh, yeah, I think making friends as adults is really hard and making friends in Sweden is really hard. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of the people I talk to who are not Swedish are surprised that I have Swedish friends and that I have actually been in their home. And I think part of it is that, that some of the Swedes I know even have friends that they met in kindergarten. Um, and it's like they fill up early and then they don't have room for more or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little bit the same in Denmark. It's really hard to meet new people. Some of my friends who was a French um, Danish couple ending up going back to Paris because they felt so lonely in Copenhagen. So I think some of the things we can do is go to stuff that interests us. But that's also hard. When I was a kid, I used to like going out and figuring out which birds were there and stuff. But I really don't find that interesting anymore. So most of the stuff that I find interesting are like books or movies or just having conversations or, well, geeking out on how our brain works and mm. philosophical things about where does the real me exist? Is it in my brain? Is it in my heart? What, what actually makes me who I am? Mm. Is it a soul? Is it a, you know? Discussions like that. And I have some people I can do this with, but not that many. And then when I look up, so I got a lot of, of uh, good advice or at least advice at the moment because mm. I'm feeling lonely. I look up meetups for movies, for instance, but I don't want to sit and discuss the lightning in like, how was the light in this scene compared to his other movies or... <laughs> Like that nerdy. <laughs> yeah, so so that's what I found. I found nerdy stuff like that. I didn't yeah. find anything. It's like, oh, let's watch some movies and just have fun. Mm. And the times where this succeeded has been like when I did this at a workplace. So my first workplace, for instance, I would, if something interesting would come up, I would reserve 10 tickets and then I would write out and say, hey, who wants to go join me? Mm. And then at, after a few months, we were a group that used to always go. So we would go see some of the, the really interesting movies. And then afterward, we would go to a bar and we would talk. This is the thing with meetups. I get these reminders of meetups all the time. And I go like, 
oh yeah, but that day I'm doing something else. Or I sign up and then, you know, I, I try, I always try to cancel. I think what we need to do is to, first of all, be aware of this, be aware of how difficult it is for us. Because I don't like doing remote work. I like being with people also because a lot of what I do, helping people is listening to them, watching them, uh, observing, figuring out what's going on, figuring out what they're not saying. I just like being in the same room with people. There's no way around that we are having a lot of remote work. And I think that remote work is very efficient for some things. I think for idea generation, I would prefer being in the same room for being more creative. There, there are some things to remote work um, and it gives a lot of flexibility. But I think that's also part of why we are having this epidemic of loneliness. If we are a team, we talk to them every day, we might not meet people. For me, it was extreme during Corona. I went home for Christmas and hadn't talked to like a person off screen for 27 days in 2020. And it's not good for us. And it's not good for us not coming out. So when we go out, even if we just go with the underground, we see people mm. and it's not the same people. Even though it might be sort of the same people because we go sort of the same day, there's still something different every day. Yeah. And that does something to our brain. I often talk to people and I go like, that's two years ago, which means that it's four years ago because Corona was yeah. just like almost the Corona attacks. <laughs> yeah. And the reason for that is that our brain didn't see something new. It saw the same every single day. So there was no reason to save it. There was no reason to think about, oh, I went up today. I had the same breakfast. I didn't see anything new. No. Why would our brain think about that? And I think. That is not good for us either. So we need to be aware that this can be a problem, even for introvert people who, who get their energy from being alone. They also need connection. I mean, there's research showing how we need the physical connection even to grow. So I'm old enough to remember some of the stuff that happened in Romania before I joined the communism. And I remember mm. when they found these orphanages afterwards mm. where the kids were really tiny and not developed because they had never been touched except for, you know, changing diaper. I found that so scary. And I think we have to look at the same now that if we are not careful, we're going to make the same damages to us. And I think the kids, they go to kindergarten, they go to school. So hopefully they won't get this. But for us grownups and more and more grownups are living on their own. I saw in Denmark, the, there's now a million people living on their own out of 6 million people in the country. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a lot of people. And if you don't do something active to meet people, we are not feeding the, the fundamental need that we have for connection. Yeah. So I think that's the first part. And then I think once you have figured out that this is a problem, the next thing you need to do is to want to change it. I remember being in a training about user stories where Mike Cohen said that First, you need to be aware of things, but then you need to have the desire. Like you said, I know I need to eat vegetables, but to me, vegetables was something my mom cooked until it was dead. And I kind of, I can really relate to that, that because I know that I need to move every day. I need to get out every day, uh, at least a little bit. And I've been trying this actively now for two weeks. And I really struggle if I don't have 
purpose. Like yesterday, I did manage to get out for 10 minutes, do a small walk, but it took me half an hour to do it because I don't have the desire to do it. Uh, and I think we need to find that desire. We need to figure out why is it that I want to do this? And it needs to be emotional because like I have plenty of logical reasons for why I should move every day. It's good for my body. It is good for my mental health in the long run. Uh, I mean, I'm 51 now. I'll turn 52 soon. In the long run, if I want to keep being able to travel, being able to even walk and stuff, I need to move. I need to use my muscles. So that's the logical part. But unless you have an emotional why, it becomes really, really difficult. And I, with some things, we can force it. I mean, I can say, okay, logically, I know I need to go out. I can take a walk every day. I have a friend reminding me every day that I need to go out a bit. And then I can build it into a habit. And once it's a habit, it's there. But it's a long haul to get there if you don't really want it. And I used to think that we needed to be motivated for these things. But the thing is, we, if we only do stuff when we're motivated, we don't get very far. And I think that's another problem is that we live in, in the Western world, at least. We've been so spoiled with always being able to do what we wanted. Like I can say for myself, since, I, so I became independent as a agile coach in 2013. And then the first year was terrible. I couldn't get work. But since mid-2014, I have not had to look for work. This is the first time I've had to look for work. And I've been able to say no and take exactly the work I wanted. And I think growing up today, you get a lot of what you want. You get the toys you want. You get, I mean, people go on vacations. Like most of my vacations was being in the backyard or going to the beach or, you know, we didn't go anywhere because, you know, it was expensive. And so when I was a kid, that was not a thing. Now you kind of get everything you want almost. In some Which countries. I'm, yeah. Yeah. In some countries. Yeah. In that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm saying, yeah, very true. Especially in the, in the West, Western world. And not as much anymore because of the crisis. But it still means that we need to get used to doing stuff that's not always nice. One of my friends went to something called Backyard Ultra, which means that every hour you start running. I think the field is like 4.5 kilometers. If you finish within the hour, mm. then, you can, then you start again the next hour. Mm, fun. Uh, and he did 69 hours. And then he stopped because his ankle was, was not too good. So he ran for 69 hours with small breaks in between. The longest breaks he had was 14 minutes. I think the shortest was five minutes. The one who won the race did 108 hours. And when you want to do these things, no matter what, if it's this or some other kind of elite sport, you have to train every single day, even if you're not motivated. You have to go running every single day or do strength exercises every single day. I heard the same from authors. I'm following Neil Gaiman on Blue Sky. And one of the things he says is that you sit and you write every single day because this is your job. Stephen King has said some of the same things. And it means that you build a routine. I heard him on a podcast where he was talking about, he was asked to do 
a short story for charity. And he felt like he had no ideas at all, but he wanted to support the charity. So he said, yes, anyway. And then he did what he does and he just started writing. And then after a week, he had the story and it wasn't one of his best stories, but it was a, it was a good story. Good enough. Because he had built his writing muscle. That's what we, we kind of need to learn is that for being social, for doing something new, something active, yes, we can do it when we're motivated, but then it won't be very often. We need to learn how to do it when we are not. We need to learn, okay, I signed up for this meetup. I feel like crap, but when I'm there, I'll feel better. We need to learn to say, oh, I really don't want to see anyone, but I agreed with myself that I will talk to a person in person twice a week. So I will go in and I will book that. I will ask acquaintances. I will show up for meetups, even though I don't feel like it. And I think that's what we need to do to get out of this loneliness. And we need to look out for each other. Look out and see, is there someone that I usually see that I haven't heard from for a while? They're making some experiments or experiments, or what do you call it in Denmark, with villages. So there's one village in northern Jutland called Aso. And what they're doing is they have this local uh, community with a bunch of people who really care about this. And they have all sorts of stuff. They have like baking together, cooking together, running together, whatever. But what, what is more important, I think, is that they keep in, they know everyone who lives in that village. And if someone is not showing up three times in a row, they go knock on the door or if someone is not joining anything at all. So I think we need to do that as well. We need to take care of ourselves because we are the one closest to us. But I think we need to look around and see what's around us. What are people that we have seen been active before that we don't? What are colleagues or old colleagues that you want to meet up with, even if it's just for coffee? And then reach out. Because sometimes when you are the loneliest, you don't have the energy to reach out. Or maybe you think, you know, like I tend to do, when I'm the loneliest, I go, oh, everyone else is busy. Uh, it's just because I have so much time, I'm not going to reach out. So I think to fight that loneliness, we need to do those things. We need to, to do something actively ourselves. And then we need to, to start taking more care of others. And I think that's also something we lost over the last, I don't know, 50 years maybe, that we used to be so dependent on each other. And while there is good in not being dependent, I mean, if you and I lived a hundred years ago, we would have to be married because that was the way for a woman to be, be able to take care yeah. of herself, to have enough salary to actually have an apartment. I mean, in Denmark, it's only been 122 years since women could own land or own anything big for that matter. And it's great that we don't have that kind of dependence anymore, but it is also a problem that we are so independent and we think we don't need other people. We don't, we don't live in a village where we need someone to help us build our barn or, you know, take care of our right. animals. We don't have we a don't common have goal that, together no, achieving something. Yeah. We don't have that need anymore, but then what happens when we can take care of ourselves? financially and otherwise, I mean, I'm single, I have an apartment, 
I will hopefully have a job soon. I can take care of myself. I don't need other people that way. I can eat every day, but we still need people. And I think we forgot how much we actually need people. And we have become more and more society of individuals and of a little bit egotistical because if I don't need other people and I can get what I want, then I do what I want. Yeah. And we see a lot of symptoms of this. I, I mean, look at a meetup. How many people will just cancel a meetup at the last moment? Or even sometimes when you try not to... Not even show up. Yeah, not even show up. Sometimes when you try to have a birthday party, people don't sign up until the very last moment yeah. because what if something more interesting comes along? <laughs> yes. I've even seen though that that's happening. not what people say, we kind of, because we take care of ourselves first and we are so used to getting a lot of things that we want, we do that. And we forget that sometimes me going to a birthday that I don't want to go to maybe is about building a connection to that person that I actually like. And that I might want to hang out with, just not for a birthday. But if you don't go to that, yeah. what do you go to? Yeah. It's about meeting people and then asking them out. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's about meeting people and saying, hey, we met last week. Do you want to have coffee, lunch, whatever, right? Yeah. And, then, and then continue that, that be consistent in that uh, building up friendships or networks even, right? That they can be very useful for finding a job, but also for not feeling lonely or for any reason in the future. And I, and I do agree. It's especially important for those who moved countries because it, yeah. it's a completely different world. And yeah, both of us live in Sweden and I have heard from many people how hard it is to adapt to the culture. Here because people have, like you mentioned, friends from kindergarten, friends from here, friends from there. Yeah. And but I've seen things like this even in London when you know you you hang out with people after work for an hour or two, and then you want to continue or you want to be closer friends. But they have these friends from university that they always, yeah. you know, friends from there and friends from there. So yeah, it's a lot of work, and some of us maybe are not patient enough or just uh, get burned on on people too often. But something you mentioned. It, it made me think of, we all need some kind of ikigai, right? The reason to live, to be able to yeah. get out of the house. And you're familiar with the blue zones, how people, how the centurions live in uh, all over the world. And I've read about it and, and watched uh, videos and it's, and it's exactly what you said out there. It's like finding that reason to get out. And in these blue zones, they actually have these communities. They have these elderly living together and doing fun things. They have these grannies in Japan getting up and planting vegetables and always someone talking to each other. So there is a lot in that. And I mean, in Japan, they call it Ikigai, but all over the world, there is a similar uh, mm. thing named differently. Always getting out. I can even see that from like my mom. She's over 70. And, you know, she has this network in the church yeah. or, and even if she's not like the most devoted religious person is the cultural thing that where I come from, people do connect in the church every Sunday or the friends she has since she was born. Think yeah. about it. 70 years, they know each other and they meet for coffee every Sunday after church. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, she never understood. What do you mean? You can't be bothered to get out. Like that's in her words. It's like, you can't be bothered to get out. Like you don't feel like getting out. You just put your clothes on and do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just reading about actually, maybe it's the same blue zones. I was reading about how old people get 
Yeah. And what are the areas where people get older? That's the one. And the interesting thing I found was that none of them were doing this to live to be old. It was all about, you know, like there was this guy who was like 90 and still writing every day. Yeah. Because he loved to write. So he got out and, and attended his horse every day. So it, and so all of these, were, it was about being active. It was about having a social network. A lot of them was plant-based food uh, or yes. more plant-based foods than the average. But none of it was to do this. None of it was to to live forever or live yeah. longer. Or to have friends or to, to whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Many of them were connected to religion. Some of them were not. There was a pattern. This book has been written some time ago, but there was even a Netflix documentary about it recently. That is basically like a summary, but not. This guy oh, has I been working that. on it for 20 years. It's fascinating. I it's really like, that, yeah. yeah, I mean, you binge that. <laughs> yeah. You feel better afterwards. Yeah, I, I, me and my partner, we watched it. And I mean, we were both familiar with it. I read the book a long time ago, but it was Sometimes when we don't feel well or or whatever, we're like, oh, but remember these these uh, centurions? They were what yeah. were they doing? You know, what's the ikigai here? What's the reason to live? They were ninety, hundred. Some were drinking wine in Sardinia. Some were just not. They were yeah. in America and they were extremely religious, where they would not do things like that. But yeah, there was plant based food. There's so many different things there. But it's it, I think it's fascinating. And the thing that you mentioned about doing something every day when I started to learn how to like write and you know English is my second language too mm-hmm. so to be able to write in English I came across Seth Godin and he's oh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah and and he's f- famous for writing a blog every day <laughs> and then I looked at these blogs this was a few years ago and I was like wait a minute this is not amazing Half this stuff <laughs> is crap. <laughs> it's like three sentences. And then that was an eye-opener. How long has he been doing it for? This clearly brought him some sort of joy and gave him, yeah, a lot of yeah ideas. Like you say, it's, it wasn't good every day. Uh, and I think that's, that's also what I struggle with, for instance, a bit. Is if, if I was to write a blog post every day, I would want it to be proper. Yeah, yeah. The perfectionist. Um, I've actually, do, I've actually <laughs> done it a few times where I, so someone challenged me to write a blog for every day for the 12 days of Christmas. Mm. He made it to seven days, but I actually made all 12 days of Christmas. Okay. I, I did that two years and then I think one year it just became too forced for me. And I couldn't get around to doing it. And then afterwards it turned out that I was moving into a depression again. I was having uh, dinner with one of with some of my friends recently, and we, me and one of the other ones took a taxi home. And we were talking about how a lot of my really good friends are busy. And he says something that I haven't thought about is, you cannot only rely on good friends. You need to have a network of acquaintances, of people that maybe you meet them once a year, maybe you meet them once in a while. You can have a and I small talk with them. You need to build a network with that, but you have things in common. Maybe you try going to um, Dungeons and Dragons if you like board games, if it has something to do with, you know, a little bit of connection to something you could find interesting. Yeah. And, and that really is just about, you know, you can't only rely on good friends, really 
struck a chord with me because that's what I do is that I can meet with people that I know from conferences or other stuff. But what I really need is my good friends. And maybe I'm relying a bit too much on that. I've heard this phrase a few days ago from a woman called Sam. I don't remember her last name. And she said, there are friends for a reason and friends for a season. (laughs) (laughs) And it was such a great way to like, for me at least, to visualize exactly what you said, that not everybody is, people are for come in for different reasons and for different seasons. And it's when you start thinking about it, you don't only have to stick with those those best friends that you put in this box. And let's say it's a group of five or 10 that you can also meet people and they don't know each other from different groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's really cool. I'm also learning that <laughs> as a fellow immigrant. <laughs> yeah, but I also, I look at it and I, like one of the things I'm missing that hasn't started probably for me again after Corona's conferences. And I really love meeting up with people and sometimes there will be people that you know, that I don't meet anymore because I used to meet them at Lena at Yale Scotland and I haven't been there for some years. Mm. But even if that was the only place I met them and that was the only, like maybe we talked once a year or every second year, I still had a good time talking to them. So I wouldn't say that they were friends' friends as in, you know, we make an active effort in staying in touch or, you know, they are the ones I would call if I needed someone to move a body. <laughs> uh, which is a term I read once. Who would you call if you had to move a body? That's a very it's good still, question. It's world's friend. best icebreaker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, the interesting like... thing about the the, uh, the the article I read was actually because my first thought was, okay, you killed someone. But the article was actually about her mom being an alcoholic. Oh, wow. And that she couldn't move her mom. If her mom fell out of the sofa when she was really drunk, she couldn't move her back on her own. And she's like, who would you call? Who would you let in to this most vulnerable place where you didn't really want to show this? Mm. Who's the one you could call and help you move that body? I'm very good at asking for help on physical stuff. Like when I moved in, putting up lamps, drilling things into walls, stuff like that. Very easy. When it comes to the deeper things, I am very bad at asking for help. And the deeper it is, the harder it is to ask for help. But I think that, I mean, sometimes we just do this where we want everything to be high quality. And I mean, we eat every day and except for some people, most meals are not the most amazing thing in the world. We need to, we need to do a lot of things. Maybe it's okay that it's not the best thing. Maybe it's okay to listen to a podcast that is not good because, well, maybe you get one or two interesting perspectives or (laughs) Or you can get angry at it. Or you can get angry at it, or you can, you know. um, Not this one. This one's amazing. This one is, of course, (laughs) totally amazing, but that's a different story. (laughs) No, but I sometimes listen to podcasts and I'm like, I really don't agree with this. Where did you get this idea from? This is so wrong. Or I listened to a panel on a conference the other day and I was like, what? This is such an ancient thinking. And why is everybody nodding? I need to go and talk to this guy. He doesn't know. Not everything should be smooth. Some some friction yeah. in life, it's important. So you know where you stand and what are your values, right? Yeah, I think both friction, but also that that you can do a little bit. If I was to do what is right, you know, I should exercise. What is it? Is it 20 minutes a day? You have to be active. And three times a week, you have to exercise for an hour. 10,000 steps. Yeah, all these things. But if I take a walk for 10 minutes, 
that's still 10 minutes. If I swim for 15 minutes, it's better than no swimming. And I think we need to get better at this, that if I meet up with people where I don't have an amazing time, I still met up with people. And I think that's part of it is that we need to lower our standards. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have that amazing meal or, you know, be with those friends where all of a sudden you realize it's the middle of the night because you've been talking. Of course we should have that, but we shouldn't only go for that. We should also no. go for things that are, that are just okay. And then maybe they were amazing for the person who went there with yeah. you, right? Maybe it wasn't okay for you, but it was amazing for them. Yeah. And then it helped them. And then it's like an avalanche of positivity yeah. showing up for others, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome, Gita. We we met to talk about psychological safety. <laughs> and we talked about what was needed to talk about. Um, yeah. And I think this loneliness, I think you're, I mean, I've seen stories about, you know, the epidemic alone. And I think it is really true. And I think it's something we need to do something about to not, I don't know, end yeah. up dying mm -hmm. alone and nobody finding us until Which two years very later. common in Sweden. We know that. Yeah. 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 Super scary. It's the first time I heard it when I moved here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've, and I've heard, I've seen it a few times now. And I think there was one. Who, so he was retired. He got money from the state. All his bills were paid automatically. So they found him after four years. They could see that on his mail. And that's, that's a lot scary. That's really scary. And I mean, that's be, even before pandemic, I heard about these episodes. But yeah, yeah we, we need to, like you said, actively work towards that, get out. But I think also start thinking of others in less transactional ways, right? Like I'm not only yeah. meeting you because it's something good for me from it and start asking them about how they are and how they're doing. I saw this t-shirt somewhere in an online shop and it said something like, enough about me, let's talk about me. And it yeah. kind of, <laughs> I think it was designed through Beckham. I was like, yes, it's so many of us that are out there like me, 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 how about me? What did I do? And then, and then, yeah, the, some people are absorbing and they can yeah. only absorb it for so, for so long. And, and it is yeah. both ways, right? It is both ways. And, it, and it's not about, oh, me, this, you, that. And then we have a rap battle about how we're feeling, but it is a lot about giving each other like, at least some kind of equal space to, to yeah. hear because you might be down, you might be lonely, but maybe the person you talk to, it's feeling very similar, right? Yeah. 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 Wow. I love that we talked about this, actually. I feel like we need to meet again for the psychological safety tips. I mean, there is so much out there in the recorded conference talks that you have, and you were recently at our meetup, but I think it's still important. There, there are things that we need to prioritize right now. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's still, I think it's super important also because a lot of people don't know really what it is or how to implement it. Can we meet again and talk about that? Yes, <laughs> we can. <laughs> that would be so cool. But it's still, I think, really fun to, to talk about how lonely we are all in our world and what to do about it. And like, we don't really know what to do about it. That's no, we can thing. only speculate. And I mean, we have. Based on what we know and what we've worked with and what we've lived, we have some ideas. Yeah. And we might have other ideas than others because we are who we are. I'm not saying they're better or worse than others, but at least it's something. And I think that's the important thing is we need to do something. 
And make it less of a taboo when someone says they're lonely. Yeah. Because I think it's, yeah, like you, you're lonely. You're such an extroverted person. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Or, yeah, I even heard somewhere recently that even Simon Sinek is lonely. Yeah. And he has a team and big company around him. Uh, so I think there's so much more to unpack it. And there is no one, one kind of recipe for it. But no. I think with the remote work, it became more and more present, that, that loneliness. And, you know, I'm a big fan of working remote. Before the pandemic, I was like, everything's going remote. I want to get out. And then I realized that w w why I wanted to do remote work before it was because I really like my creative space where I can just go crazy and like design things. And I can, mm -hmm. I can go, you know, the sky's the limit. I do need the personal connection with people. But there was these people, these moments where I had to hide my screen because I was doing something that was like, this is not really what she should be doing, right? But yeah, who would have yeah. known that like, okay, I was, I was designing a game and it was a secret for the team, right? But if someone sees it, they're like, what is she doing? Like this is weird. Yeah. So there's a lot of these like spectators, commentators. And I was also getting questioned a lot about like speaking Swedish or, or not speaking Swedish, you know, all of these things. So I was like, Home is safe. No one's going to ask me these things here. <laughs> so I realized that later, that that's why I was really interested in working remotely. But I mean, I still like it because it's, I have my setup. I have my mess. Nobody is telling me to move the desk. <laughs> no. You know, there's like, you don't want to see how many post-it notes pieces here. Everybody has different needs. Yeah. yeah. But if we don't see each other every day in the offices with people, then yeah, maybe we don't know how they feel. No. <laughs> Because it's so much easier to hide. Yeah. Or pre-record your video that you're just nodding. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen people doing that. Oh. Awesome. Any last thoughts? What I want to end with is take care of yourself, even if you're not motivated for it. Because you can't rely on other people taking care of you. But also take care of others because even though they need to take care of themselves sometimes they can't <laughs>